0: Yeah. Okay <laughs> Hi, my name is Corey, and I'm a compulsive overeater.: Hello. Um, I'm trying to find where I am in the format. All right, we'll put that down and um, So I, I am a compulsive overeater. Thank you, Julia, for asking me to come and speak. Um, I, you know, I've been in program a long time. I've spoken at this meeting a couple times. I love this meeting. I love all of you. And I got out of my car this morning and I got really nervous and I thought... I just I just noticed that, you know, there was a time where that would have been debilitating for me and having many years in program. I noticed, well, isn't that interesting that I'm nervous and, you know, that'll be with me while I'm speaking. Very different than how I was um, pre-program or even into program a fair way. I would have been worried that you would have seen my nervousness. Um, It's sort of like that thing um, of. You know, I'm afraid you're going to see that I'm overweight, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Um, anywho, I'm going to pass around some pictures. There, um, there are various pictures in here from when I was a kid. I wasn't an overweight kid. Um, I was a sad kid. I just, I, thank God I found food. I don't know really what would have happened. But um, if, if you want to do it according to my will, find this little white tag and then go this way and then flip it over. It, <laughs> if you... If you want to go your own way, you're really on your own. Um, uh, I've been in program for 26 years-ish, and um, August will be 27 since my first meeting, my first program, which was Al-Anon. And then about nine months later, I got here to Overeaters Anonymous. And I always say that God works in mysterious ways because um, I... uh, I didn't think I was a compulsive overeater. I thought I had a problem with willpower. I thought I was weak. I thought I was bad. I had all of these really definitive judgments about myself and my food. And um, I don't even remember having a conversation with one of my Al-Anon sisters about needing to come here. But I lived in a very small town. There were two meetings a week, two, meeting, two Al-Anon meetings, two OA meetings in the town that I lived in. And it was And small town culture is like... Like, I just drove 30 minutes to come here, but the next town was 10 minutes, and that was such a schlep. So um, so we, I had a choice of two meetings. And, and I ran into a friend of mine that I knew from school and, and said something about my food. I don't remember what it was, but clearly it was something about struggling with my food. And she said, why don't you come to Overeaters Anonymous? And I had heard of OA, I think. Um, I definitely had heard of AA, so I knew that that was around. But I... Um, I had I I don't know I don't I I, my first thought was the image of what I thought someone that needed something like Overeaters Anonymous would be Um, and and I I had an image I had I had an archetype of what that would be and I didn't I I wasn't that bad and it wasn't like my ego saying well I don't eat that bad because I'm better than you it was just sort of like I'm I'm not going to fit in there. I'm not going to in any place where I might possibly get some help. I probably won't fit in with sort of my thinking, which I think is eager too in a different way, but um I came to my first meeting um, and and I related. I I I had been in Al-Anon for 9 months and I really in, in those so this is a story worth telling. Um and then I'll get on to my OA story, but I came into Al-Anon and then my first meeting was in Los Angeles with my sister Um, where I was from, and we went to this meeting, and there were a lot of famous people at the meeting, and I was at a time in my life where I was super starstruck, and there were these famous people that were in this meeting, and they were crying, and they were getting in touch with their feelings, and I think even, you know, God or spirit, whatever that is for me, um, needed me to see some people that I perceived as cool to be in a meeting I don't know. And now I think you're, you guys are all as cool as anybody. But I, at the time, I needed to see some people maybe that I recognized that I thought had some, I don't know, some world political capital in the world and political in terms of, like, being known or something. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I liked what I heard in that program. And so I stayed there for nine months. In that time, I got into a relationship um, Let's see, there were a couple of meaningful things that happened for me, and I, and, and I, being new and kind of arrogant, said, you know, I would share as a result of this program. You know, I, as a result of three months in on anon So anyway, nine months later, I got into OA, and um, the way my life works is typically um, when I'm suffering, I don't reach out for help. If I already have my people when I'm suffering, I'm, I'll share it with you. But I don't reach out for new help when I'm suffering. So I came to, into OA when things were really good in my life. Like I, except I was struggling with food. But I mean, I, I was in this relationship that I thought was my forever and always. Not because I particularly liked him or the relationship was going well. We barely communicated and I was too afraid to get vulnerable. But but I just figured I've got one, you know. <laughs> Woo <laughs> Um, danger, Will Robinson, danger. I, um, <laughs> and we're friends today on Facebook. He lives somewhere else. But anyway, so um, so I thought, you know, my life is fixed. And I went into a way to get my food. I thought, I just have a couple more things to handle. And then once I get those in order. and um, and, I, and I started building community here. And I started looking at my food. And I did what I did in the world. Like, I brought all my own ideas with me here. So if you do that, know that you're not the only one. Um, and and when I came in, I thought people talked about abstinence and I didn't know what that meant. And I was a little too intimidated to ask because you all just threw it around like it was some verbiage that, you know, everyone else knew. And like the emperor's new clothes, like everyone, well, everyone is abstinent. So I didn't know what that was, but I sort of thought it needed to be perfect in order for you to uh, love me and care about me and let me stay really was my big thing. Um, and I chose a sponsor early on in this little meeting in this little town, one of two a week, um, who had been through the steps in AA and, um, and so I started, I wanted to start working the steps, but I didn't know abstinence and I thought it needed to be perfection. I I knew diet. I knew being on a diet and not being on a diet and that seesaw that I had been on so many times, um. And there's a thing in the book passing around that I uh, a little quote that I just saw on Facebook recently, which is something like, you know, I finished my seven day diet in three hours and 14
1: minutes.
0: (laughs) That's that's what I knew of diet. Um, And I um, and I, I didn't really understand the concept of abstinence. And I felt bad that I didn't understand it. And I didn't know that it's okay to be new. Like that was that's been one of the themes in my whole entire life with everything. New jobs, new Relationships, new things. Like growing up, I, I never sort of knew that it's okay not to know, because I grew up in a family. God bless them; they were doing the best that they could. And I, I used to believe that, and then I didn't believe that for a while, and now I'm back to believing that. Even though they did a really crappy job, they, they, they were, they were wounded and did the best they could from their own wounds. But um I, I, it wasn't good not to know. It was really good. We, we got sort of karma points in my family for for knowing how to do stuff before we ever had the opportunity to learn. So I brought that idea in here with me and I heard about abstinence and I thought, OK, I need to get abstinent so I can start sharing like all of you. And I didn't realize that that for me and this is just my experience and my um, well, everything I share today is just my experience of this program. It's, it's based on the program. It's not based. I'm not going to be sharing about outside things that I've learned, but but it's my experience and my interpretation and the way that I've been guided and led through this program. Um, and the way that I'm now guiding other people through this program as I continue to be guided and led. Um, I um, Abstinence for me was a process. It wasn't I didn't get abstinent one day. And I've been abstinent and not abstinent a few times. And I just took a candle for 23 years last December. Um, and if I you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get to what that is for me. Um, but I uh, so I I called my and I'm going to share about some stuff. That, again, is my experience, may feel controversial to you, but it's, it's my OA experience. So I called my... I, I, was, I was perfectly abstinent, right? At first, it was like, my first week, I thought, oh, I've been graced, I'm perfectly abstinent, I've got God, you know, I've got you, um, you've got me, kumbaya. And, and then after that, it was sort of like, okay, I'm still abstinent. And my knuckles were turning whiter and whiter. I'm still abstinent. And then I called my sponsor one day, and... Um, and I said, I, I broke my abstinence. I have started over. And she said, you know, it would be good if you not make that decision on your own. You, you need to talk about that with me before you make that decision. And she said, and by the way, what is it that you did that made you feel like you broke your abstinence? And I said, well, I, I had a piece of candy. And, um, and she said, and again, here's the controversial part for some people. She said, how, how did you used to eat? And I said, I mean, I don't know, bags of this and bags of that. And it was never a... Uh. I never had a candy. And she said, maybe, um, maybe you've set this up to be a little bit too rigid if you think that you need to start over when it's imperfect. And again, the reason I say it's controversial is for some people, they need it to be that rigid. And that's not, it's just different. I, I need it. and, and being a type 1 diabetic and sometimes needing a glucose tablet or something, and, and not particularly feeling overly triggered by sugar, myself in my abstinence, it was good that she said that to me. She said, I don't think you broke your abstinence. You, you don't get to do that. You don't get to say that. And, and then there were times where it was really clear that it wasn't just sugar. It was the behaviors and binging and being unclear and being really out of touch with myself and food. And that was those were clear times where I've started over. But um, I brought that that dieting idea in with me. And I just thought that I was the only one who did that. I mean, I didn't think that consciously, but I just I felt strange for... Feeling, oh I should have known that one you know at whatever and and I shouldn't have known I was new I was I was exploring and trying and um, figuring out what this was for me and um, I wanted to work the steps right away I I wanted I, I'm good when I have things to do so um, because that's another one of my compulsions is doing and being busy and um, I was a little later this morning than I wanted to be. I wanted to have time to meditate in my car. But somehow time gets away from me. It's just one of my things. I, I think it's part of being an addict. I'm not really sure because not everyone in here has it. But um, my wife, who's an alcoholic, is like so great. She's a sober alcoholic, long time. She's so great with time. She just grew up where they just were always on time to things. And my family was like, I don't know, grab let the cat out. Come on, we got to go. We're going to be there. We're going to be late. Ah. You know, and maybe that's part of why I've got some issues with time. Um, I could just be hyperadrenalized, and that's sort of, you know, my system. But so anyway, so I wanted to work the steps right away, and um, I started working them with this woman who had... Nobody in the town that I lived in was you know, we should feel so grateful for being in Los Angeles where there's so many meetings. There wasn't really any long-term abstinence. And um, I had a friend from Los Angeles who said she lived in London for a while and or outside of London. And the town was so small that they d- they decided to have a one week chip because that was kind of what people could get. That was the strength of the program. And anyway, so my, nobody really had a lot of long-term abstinence, but my um, my sponsor had been sober and she had worked the steps in AA. And so she started taking me through the steps and she, um, I got to step three, and then we we went to the beach one day, and we started reading from this book. I don't it, it was I think it was a, an OA approved book. I don't remember the name of it. It wasn't the big book, but it. I remember when we were reading about step one. It talked about the difference between helplessness and powerlessness, and um, that was a really important distinction for me because I, the, I didn't see that there was a difference, and I it, I I was. Not going to admit that I was helpless, although I was. But don't tell me that I was. Um, I, I, but I was so powerless. I was. I'm power, I'm still powerless over time. I'm still powerless over food. Thank God I have a program. The way I say that now is I alone am powerless. But with all of you and my higher power, there's strength, um, and there's power from that. So um, we we read the first three steps, and and at the end we went back to her apartment, and and she said. I said, well, how do you know when you're done with I didn't like I didn't get it, but I couldn't have gotten it at the time. I thought I get this, you know, um, I got to get this so you'll continue to love me. And we talked about the first three steps. And she said, well, you know, do you admit that you're powerless over food and your life is unmanageable? And my life didn't seem all that unmanageable to me. It's what I knew with my life. Um, and I didn't I thought I thought that, it, that I would eat more if I admitted I was powerless. And I, I've heard people say that, so I know I'm not alone. I um, I thought admitting that I was powerless was like, okay, honey, go to the buffet and have a free for all because you you don't have power anyway, so you might as well go. I, I didn't realize the freedom in that, and I didn't. And it took me a long time to really get what that really meant for me to feel powerless over food. Um, and that that still means I get to still have a choice about my food, but I'm you know there are certain things anyway you all you all get it. It, it whatever that means for you, you get that um, and and i I said, yeah, I'm fat tireless over food and unmanageable, sure, sure you know yeah and and um and inside, I was thinking like I, I just was terrified and I thought i 'm not, but if, if I got to say this to you in order to move on, like I thought you know you work all twelve steps and then you tuck those away, and then they give you something else to do and um, <coughs> can you all hear me in the back by the way, good uh. And then she said, you know, do you do you think that perhaps there could be a power greater than yourself? And I was one of those people. I, I was raised um, in a religion where we practiced it very culturally and um, came to establishments like this. And, um, and and I didn't I didn't believe in God. Um, I had a lot of intellectual barriers against believing in God and um, and I don't. And I don't think my family believed in God. I don't know if the people that I went to temple with believed in God. I don't know. People. I remember getting into an argument with my Hebrew school teacher once about. He said, you know, when God came down and talked to people or whatever, and I and I thought I got him because I said, don't you think it's interesting that God used to talk to people, but God doesn't come down so much anymore? What do you think that's about? <laughs> like as if as if I'm gonna, you know, convince somebody that there's no God who believes in God. Like as if that's even. that was my mission was just um and um i it's it scared me the thought of god i don't you know there there are a lot of things in my collective history a lot of things in all of our histories that it scared me to think that maybe there was a god and and is that you know punishing or um i I, i'll get back to the steps but when i was new in los angeles i had this amazing sponsor and I said to her one day, my wallet got stolen at work, and she and I said, um, I said, you know, I think God was telling me to be more careful. And she said, Do you really think God's that punitive? And I realized that's something my father would have said to me. He would have said, God damn it, Corey White, you should put that stuff away. But and and I and I got to really be faced with what I another opportunity to redefine my higher power. But so she said to me, Do you you know you think possibly that there's something greater than you that could restore you to sanity and I, I thought well, well I'm not insane maybe she is insane but I'm not and so I said yes and thought inside no and then she said can you can we together today make a decision to turn our will and our lives over and and we sat down and we did the, held hands and did the third step prayer and I was so uncomfortable the uh, thank you um, I don't even know where we are in time but um, and I was so uh, the, the thought of it was just it was far too intimate for me to hold someone else's hand. And the thought of praying together just seemed really weird to me. And, um, and and so we did it. And that was my experience the first time doing steps one, two and three. And I thought of them as like these big steps that you do. And then you like I said, you put them in your pocket and then you go on to the next ones. And I didn't realize I couldn't have realized until a fair way into program that um, that those were things I do all the time, multiple times a day. I think about, you know, I'm ooh, where I'm carrying that one again, you know, let me turn that over because I'm not doing such a great job or wow, I really when, when I get irritated with things at work and I think well, that person really needs to ch- wait a minute, they don't need to change. I, I need to look at what is it in me that's reactive to that, you know, I mean, some people need to change. I just have to say, but <laughs> generally at work, myself included in some ways, but generally at work, when I get that reactive. I could spend a lot of energy on what needs to change in them, which usually gets me more reactive, or I could look at, wow, what is, wow, Corey, what, what in you is getting so triggered, and it's, it's usually my ego, it's usually, you know, a a number one, a number of my character defects, the fact that things, if you do it that way, it's not going to go, the whole project won't go according to my plan, and my plan's better than your plan, and sometimes people do things and it wants to be better, it winds up being better, or it's, or not, or it delays the project by a day, but it's, you know, it's just not up to me. So, um, so I started writing a four-step with that sponsor, and, and she, that sponsor in uh, Humboldt County where I lived, and she had me, she said, go back to your first memory and write your life story. I, I don't recommend ever telling that to a newcomer, because <laughs> I, I am, not only am I obsessive and kind of perfectionistic, but it was a little too daunting for me. Like, I think as a newcomer, I needed the workbook which wasn't out yet, but where there are clear questions and you get it you're on question 14 and you can look and see, oh, look, there's 36. OK, you know, I'm on the third of the way there or whatever. And um, in the middle of that, I hit an emotional bottom. My boyfriend left me. I was graduating from college. I didn't imagine that I'd ever be able to support myself. And part of why I held on to this boyfriend was because he wanted to be a millionaire by 30. And I thought, oh, good, someone will support me. And, you know, it was. I was young, and it 's what i thought and um, and i didn 't it was just a real bottom for me. What it was was an opportunity for a spiritual awakening because I, my seasons were changing or life cycle stages or whatever but i didn 't know that i, I didn 't i mean I suppose like a lot of people at that age where it 's such a transition. I just felt like my life was over, and i thought i don 't really how much time five minutes left okay, so anyway, so I could take you through that whole story, but it took me a long time really to understand that we're all, like, I, I'm, I'm not as dissimilar from you as I think I am. And when I'm struggling with things, whether they're very personal to me or whether they're life cycle stages that we all go through, um, that I can share about them in a meeting. And I can share about it not only for me, but for you, maybe. I've shared about things in meetings. I was in an Al-Anon meeting a while ago, and um, and some of you may know, and if not, I'll share that um, five years ago uh just this past May 4th, I learned that my parents had died. My father and stepmother died. It was a murder suicide, and um, I don't know the details. But anyway, I um, I shared about that in a meeting, uh, and and a woman came up to me and she said I was nine when my mother killed herself. I when my mother killed herself, and um, she said I've never talked about it, and, and and I and I needed to talk about it, and and I and she needed to hear it apparently. And I mean, I was sharing about it everywhere at that time, but I got to help somebody else in my struggles. You know, I mean, that's what we do here. So. um, So uh, what do I want to tell you in my last four minutes and 12 seconds? Um, So over the years, my my food has changed a lot over the years. Um, Lately, what I'm doing is uh, I'm a type one diabetic, as I mentioned, so I'm doing three meals a day and two snacks. There's times where if my blood sugar crashes, I need to have something. My food sponsor has me she had me made a list, make a list of five things that are appropriate snacks when my blood sugar crashes. And I didn't think those I, I was like, I can't narrow this down to five things. <laughs> well, there are four things on my list because I can't come up with the fifth one. Like, <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, oh, you know, fruit, leather and glucose tablets and, you know, a bar and juice. Uh, what else do I, you know? So it's interesting. My thinking was it's not going to be enough like most of my life. Um, There are many gifts that I've had in this program. I have two nephews now who are two and six and just the little apples of my eye, and I can be present with them. And my little six-year-old nephew is a type 1 diabetic. He got diagnosed at three. And I don't want to say that I'm a diabetic so that I could be of service to him, but how great is it that when my brother and sister-in-law have questions about blood sugar spikes or pump settings that I can use my struggles and, you know, And and give them experience, strength and hope. How great is that? Um, It's awesome. And it's nice for my little nephew. We compare our pumps and sometimes we do like dueling pumps. (laughs) I got you. Um, And it's just fun. It's like it sucks that we both have to have this, but why not have fun with it in the process? Uh, There's not a lot of food that I don't eat. Some people have a list of things that they don't eat. Um, My food is more about behaviors and more about things. I also commit my food every morning, what I'm going to eat. There was a time in my program where I thought I could never do that. And when I first started doing that with this food sponsor, I've been doing that for a couple of years now, I kept on asking her, doesn't it feel to you like it's taking away your freedom? Like, what if you just all of a sudden decide, I want pizza? And she's like, did you just hear yourself? (laughs) That's why we do this. And the interesting thing is, it is really freeing. And also because I have sort of this time disorder thing where I like, you know, I in the morning, I now have to plan time to make my lunch. And sometimes my dinner, because my days are long and I go from one job to the other. And um, I have to get up and, and, and there's something very meditative for me about making my food. And so I make my lunch and dinner. And while I'm doing that, I'm also eating my breakfast, my cereal or whatever it is. And um, and then when I sit down at my laptop to meditate on Facebook, yes, I do that. Um, I can email in my food and it can be clear, you know, and if I go off or sometimes I'll say, you know, like today I'm going to a wedding. And so I emailed her and I said, I'm going to a wedding, not sure what it's going to be. Um, Protein, vegetables, I'll do my best to find a carb that works. Um, and I'll text you when I'm there, and and that that really helps me. It's given me some freedom, um, and also what I find, I'll tell you my experience. Um, I wasn't somebody that thought I needed to get abstinent before I started working the steps. My philosophy, and my philosophy with sponsors, um, is that I need to start working the steps, and then that's when I'm given abstinence. Because for me, and and I'm and I'm not saying that's the way. That's just been my experience. For me, um, the steps have helped give me clarity and help bring my higher power into my life in a way that's that's relieved me of the obsession with food. And I think I I remember hearing a a speaker say that um, she said, you know, we we don't I'm going to try and say this right. We don't come in here because we're eating because that's like an alcoholic coming in because they have bloodshot eyes. We come in here because we have a compulsion with food and we need our compulsion lifted and and thank you. And and my experience is when I come here regularly, get my butt in the chair, I've worked the steps, um, you know, I'm working with others. I'm sharing with all of you. I'm sharing in meetings. People know me. I'm making and receiving outreach calls. My food is cleaner, not because I'm keeping it clean, but because my my desire to eat things that don't make me feel well or don't feed me or don't nourish me is lifted, and that's my goal, right? So then I get rid of my bloodshot eyes by working the program, but it doesn't mean that my problem is my eyes, right? So anyway, thank you. Okay, uh, this is time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with one another or within, with any one of us after this meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Um, if being recorded, please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Uh, Nancy. Thank you. What does that look like, like today in program? okay so the question is what what does my program look like in a maintenance way in terms of the steps right so it, that's a really interesting question so I'm not formally working the steps right now I'm between sponsors um, I've got a looking for a sponsor sponsor but um, I uh, what I do today is as something comes up, I see what step it belongs to. Oftentimes, like with stuff at work, it's a six and seven step issue. Um, so I work them as I need to. In terms of 10, 11, and 12, um, I've never been great with meditation, step 11. So I downloaded an app recently. It's a meditation app. And so now when I sit in front of this app, it's got music and it's got a really pretty little picture that it's very meditative. So that's, um, that's how I do that. Step 12, you know... Um, I carry this message wherever it's appropriate in the world by living, mostly by living the principles in all my affairs. Um, it, you know, if people make a comment to me and they say, well, you eat so well, how do you do that? You know, I can say, well, if you're interested, I'd be happy to share with you. Um, but I live, I live this, so I carry it uh, through attraction. Um, and then steps ten. Um, so... I feel like I do. I don't just do a daily 10 step. I do uh, an inventory as I need to. I've been lately I've been struggling with a lot of personalities at work. So I've been doing a lot of sort of spot check writing as I need to between meetings or something. Well, I get really triggered. What's my part? What's the and I do a spot check inventory. And then I, it, it's on paper so I can look at it and really see how, you know, what's my part? What's my character defect? How is it affecting me? So I, I do them as needed these days. Which I don't recommend, but it's where I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much, um, Corey, for your honesty and for your service. You mentioned a boyfriend, and then you mentioned a wife. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about? It seems like you were programmed when that uh, happened. So, can you talk about how that was relative to your program and working in depth and your sponsor and your food? Sure. Sure. The question is, I talked about a boyfriend and I talked about a wife and, and what happened for me program-wise with that transition. Um, sure, and I'll try and make this a quick story. Um, so, uh, when I was in college, I had a roommate, a female roommate, and we wound up having a relationship and. Um, It felt right to me, but I grew up in a home, again, like much of my eating, like where there were a lot of shoulds. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. And and I thought, well, this feels great. But I um, emotionally everything and it just felt right to me. And um, and I thought, so I just need to find a man to make me feel this way because I my family is that sort of that way. And. I felt like the world was that way, and I, I didn't want to be something other than what I thought the world wanted me to be, which was, had everything to do with my eating disorder. Food kept me from having resentment about that. Um, and at some point, and then I had a boyfriend, and I had another boyfriend, and at some point in program, I started meeting fellows, and I, start, and I, and I started meeting friends who were gay or lesbian, and, and I started seeing that, well, they, first of all, it wasn't an issue for them, and they didn't really care what the world thought. And 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 they had it had they had to be true to themselves because it's who they were. And much like as I watched all of you recover and like the big book says, we watch a fellowship grow up around us. Um, I watched people who felt OK about being who they truly were. And, and I started to realize, well, wow, I walk into a room and, you know, I'm not attracted to many men in the world, which I thought was my fault and problem. But I'm attracted to a lot of women. I walk down the street in West Hollywood and my head turns all over the place, you know. Um, And I thought, well, maybe that has meaning. Maybe that's my truth. So that's a great question. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about how your relationships changed to this process? Sure. Sure. well, first of all, you know, uh, thing, thing. Growing up in my family, things were. I, I am so to the core a people pleaser. I, I heard someone once say, they call themselves a pathological people pleaser, and that's so who I am. And so I grew up in my family where I don't think my parents were unaccepting of me as a being. I think they didn't really accept anybody. They had so much anger, and um, and I took it upon my shoulders as I did like a good Al-Anon to. Um, to try and be the kind of person that they could be accepting of. And, I, and, and it took me a long time to realize it really had nothing to do with me. And I did that in all my relationships. I tried to figure out who you wanted me to be. I found the people that I thought I wanted to be friends with or be in relationships with and who you wanted me to be, and then I tried to be that. And um, that first relationship that I mentioned on um, earlier in my story, I I spent that whole two years, year and a half, whatever it was, trying to figure out what he wanted me to be as a girlfriend, and and I didn't have any idea. And so um, cut to having relationships. And and in program, I've mostly had relationships with people in program, men and women. And um, I've been myself for the most part, and and sort of I've adopted this thing over the last, 10 years. My wife and I have been together for 8 years. But where I'm going to be me and I'm going to see who you are and really, really see who you are instead of who I project onto you and then see if it works. And it's so simple. It really is. That formula is so simple. But I really thought, I I have to... What do I want this to be and then I'll be that because I want want this, you know? Um, So I think I've given it over to God like I've done with my food. And my relationships look totally different. My wife and I bicker sometimes. Sometimes I'm like... I get, so here, here's something, and she won't mind if I share this. I get really irritated that she doesn't go through the shampoo and cream rinse in the same rate that it <laughs> like, It doesn't match. When I was single, if I, if the, if I had used more cream rinse, I'm going to catch up by using a little more shampoo. So, yeah. am, that's, that's how really insane I am. And, and, and I've had to let that go. She's like, she's like, honey, we can buy another bottle of cream rinse. If we, maybe we buy two shampoo or one shampoo and two cream rinses. That never occurred to me. So, but I think pre sort of realizing that she's a cream rinse user, apparently, um, I would have irritated you, you know what I mean? So hopefully that, that's a good example. Yeah, Casey. Thank you very much. Um, you talked particularly about having trouble with things people do at work. Uh, if you have experience with this, you know, out of freedom, from God, et cetera, could you talk about your praying for people you don't like and want stuff to for you? If you do it, if you don't do it, just say you don't do it. So that is a very interesting and timely question that she asked. Um, <laughs> so talking about people, people that I pray for, if I do. Um, so there's somebody at work... Um, who I'm really having a big problem with. And I'm really clear that it's not all me, but that there's some, some of my reactivity is clearly in this. And I'm not ready to pray for him. And I said that to my looking for a sponsor, sponsor. And she said, why don't you pray for the willingness to pray for him? And I thought, you know, that I can do. That's, that's, praying for him right now is a little too close to the flame. But praying for the willingness is absolutely... So right now I'm praying for the willingness to pray for somebody. Um, I think and what that means to me is my character defects are so in this that that I'm not ready to look at that in me. Like it doesn't mean this guy's such a jerk that he doesn't deserve my prayer, which is what I would have thought before. But um, and yet there are other people at work that I'm praying for, both either because they irritate me or because they're struggling and, and where it's really easy for me. So to answer your question, that's my experience. And, and then there are people that I don't even want to think about praying for the willingness, you know, <laughs> like my father. I don't I'm not there yet. And that's OK. So, yeah. Uh, so can you speak about your spiritual evolution from to coming places like this when you were a kid with your family to how you interface with your higher power today? Say that again. Your yeah. spiritual evolution from uh-huh. your kid into going to temples uh-huh. or how you interface with your higher power today? Yeah. So the uh, question was to talk about my spiritual evolution from being a kid to now. Um, yeah, so like I mentioned, when I was a kid, um, there were things I really enjoyed about going to temple. It was a very, now I would call it spiritual for me, but at that time it felt very cultural. I liked the rituals. I liked, um, I was going to say I liked Hebrew school, but that would be a lie. I, but I liked going and liked, you know, certain things about the holidays. Um, but I the, the thought of pairing that with God, it, I, that was too much for me. So... Um, and when I got in the program, I had a lot of resentments about my religion of origin. And um, what I found was as I started working the steps, I remember one Passover I went to um, and and I have an uncle who's a rabbi. So they're pretty traditional the way they practiced it um, where we were reading some of the stuff. Um, and it sounded really similar to some program stuff. I thought, why well, isn't that interesting? that it's spiritual. It's, it's not, you know, the verbiage is different than the big book, but there's something so spiritual about that. And I began to fall in love with the spirituality of where I come from. Uh, not the religiosity of it, but the spirituality of it. And, um, and I still love, I don't go to temple every week, but I love when I go. It, it feels to me like my higher power is big enough that that, that power, that force is everywhere. Um, I, you know, the change happened in many ways when I was new... I went to a retreat many years ago, if you all remember campus Kramer retreat, um, and we did a want ad for God. A- and I didn't really have a strong belief in God at the time. I didn't know that I was gone. I wasn't ready to pray for the willingness to be willing to pray to believe in God. Um, but I wrote this want ad and it was sort of, you know, was like what you would write a want ad for a significant other or something. Dear God, you know, wanted one higher power who, you know doesn't leave their socks in the corner, whatever, like whatever my version was, you know, loves me, respects me, doesn't judge me. I I wrote this thing that I couldn't even imagine believing in. Um, At some point in program, maybe about eight years after I wrote that, I remember I I had a sponsor at that time who was, who I had found in another spiritual community and was also here and and was very eclectic in her spirituality. And and I, I had, over the course of the years, felt really close to my higher power really connected and um, and one day I didn't I was going through something and I didn't feel God and I felt so much grief about missing that connection that warm connection that I had felt and I called her and I was sobbing I don't feel God God doesn't love me and she said what's your concept of God and I said and I I said wait let me pull out this one ad that I wrote eight years ago and she said to me you know maybe that fit you eight years ago and maybe now you're changing and you need you need, maybe you need to not define God. And what I discovered was that I, anything that I try and define, like, like I, I, if I, if I have my dream for me, I'll want like a really nice shack on the beach because it's a nice view when God has a mansion planned for me. So I stopped defining God and now everything to me is God. You know, on a good day, on a bad day, I, you know, I have my dark colored glasses on, but on a good day, it's all God. You know, I walked in this morning and I looked around and I thought, you people are so beautiful. That's God, right? I see the God in me sees the God in you. And that's how it's changed. Um, I didn't have a God. Then I defined a God. That helped me find something. And then I stopped defining and it got bigger. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Did you say you're looking, you're, you're looking for a sponsor-sponsor? In which case, can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah. Um so I, my track record with sponsors has been I've had some really great ones and, and I one of my character defects is that I don't trust people easily and I have a really hard time getting vulnerable and I've not had a sponsor for a while. And that was a problem. So I asked someone who I wanted to be my sponsor. My will was that she was going to be available as a sponsor. Her will and her higher powers will is that she's not available now, but I can commit my food to her and I can reach out to her as I need to. So I call her a looking for a sponsor sponsor because she she's she's serving the part. She you know, she's not my sponsor, but she plays one on TV sort of like like she. Um, and until I find a sponsor. So that's so I have somebody to fill that role. Yeah. Thank you very much, Corey. Could you talk a little bit about gratitude and maybe perhaps like how you, you know, process it or look at <coughs> it? Mm-hmm. The question is, can I talk about gratitude? Yeah, so gratitude is two things for me. One, one is a place that I'm in on a good day where I just feel, where, where I feel the light. And, and then gratitude is also something that I practice where when I'm not in a good place, I think about in my um, my gratitude list. I have to remind myself. Well, wow, I'm so grateful for my health. I have um, I have all my limbs. My kidneys are fine. I, I can you know my eyes are fine. I've been a diabetic a long time. Did a lot of damage, but I have my health. Um, you know my nephews are fine. My niece, who's 26 now, is fine. Like it's it, it, it's sort of a spiritual practice for me. Um, and some days I'm just gifted with it. Some days, like I walked in this morning, probably because I love this meeting and I love all of you. I just walked in and I felt the warmth and the light. And so it's, it's a behavior and it's also just a, something that happens to me like abstinence, you know. So. Good question. So talk about my meditation practice and what does prayer look like for me? Um, Well, I'll tell you, meditation and I are only recently becoming friends. Um, I I have struggled with that tool for a long time. And like I said, I downloaded this meditation app. I'm happy to share it offline because it's not from program. But um, where it it times me, so I don't have to keep on opening up one eye to look at the clock. and and it and it and it speaks to me. It's got some really nice music, and there's a really lovely sort of image. Of, um, so that's what my meditation practice looks like now. Um, and it is it's something. I'll just wrap up with this question. Um, uh, and and so prayer for me. Um, so two things about prayer. One is my that sponsor that I had who knew that I needed to change my concept of God. I would call her, and because I have this time thing, I would call and I'd say, I don't have time to set aside for prayer. What do you do? She said, then you live prayerfully. Then then everything that you do is a prayer. Um, I don't always remember that, but I know, it's kind of like I don't always remember to bring God with me, but I remember that God's always with me anyway. Um, So I live prayerfully. So sometimes it's, it's something that is, and sometimes it's something that I do. Where, Like when, I, when I've been at work lately and I've been struggling with personalities, I've gone into the restroom and taken one of those little seat covers, put it on the floor, got down on my knees, away from the toilet, and, and you know, God, I, I don't, you know, please, I know you, I, I, I get that you're not too busy because you have a lot of time. I'm going to give this to you and trust that it's going to go where it's meant to be. So, yeah, thank you.